0: Hi, I'm Malcolm Nichols.
1: And I'm Richard Ayling.
0: And this is Man Reimagined, a podcast where we, as men, attempt to reimagine ourselves in the 21st century.
1: How can we respond to the big questions that we're facing, both within ourselves and within society, and make sense of this ever-changing world?
0: We don't have all the answers, but we do want to create a conversation. So join us moving forward as a Man Reimagined. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Man Reimagined. My name is Malcolm Nichols, and I'm sitting here with my good mate, Richard Ayling, and another guest that we have in tonight, a really good friend of both Richard and myself, his name is Drew Lawson. Richard and Drew, are you both there? I am. I'm here. Hey, guys. Nice one. So... We've invited Drew along to have a conversation with us this week because Drew is a somatic coach and sexologist, and he's also just an all-round deviant of a bloke, really. And we we, <laughs> we wanted to we wanted to um, spice spice the the conversation up a little bit but but actually also we we wanted to kind of dive into the world of um of sex and intimacy and really explore you know where are we as men right now and and what are the what are some of the things some of the issues that we're having to face and 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 also you know what what are some of the some of the areas and ways that we can explore sex and sexuality and intimacy and, and what are, you know, how, how are we doing it well? And also, you know, what are we not doing very well as men, you know, and, and in the past, we've, we've explored these power dynamics. We've had, you know, conversations with, with a woman, Karina, and, and we've also talked between ourselves about where, where we feel men are at. And so, so we just want to, to explore this a little bit further and, and drew uh, is the perfect man to do that. So, Drew, how are you? And, and I guess, would you like to, to start by, by maybe just introducing yourself, give us a little bit of a background about who you are and, and where you are, and, and we can start the ball rolling from there.
2: Great, will do. Thanks very much, Mark. And it's a real pleasure to be invited to join you both. I think uh, the last time we shared space together was probably in the men's group in Bali uh, a handful of years ago. It's really lovely to be here with you today. Mm.
0: Um, yeah, Great, great. To so
2: interested. thank you. My, um, well, I'm, I'm talking to you today from the west of England, and uh, which is where I grew up in and around London and the south of the UK. Um, my parents did many things, but uh, my, one of my father's primary businesses was as a distributor of pornography, and one of my mother's primary practices was yoga. So from pretty much the... Day I was born, I had these kind of dual dual influences in my life of kind of quite a high-level hypersexualization, and also surrounded by uh, someone in at least in one flavor of spiritual practice. Um, so, and I think you know that's a quick way of saying how much my life has has had these two core themes running through it, and a lot of my life choices, explorations, the work that I do has been involved in. Uh, in reconciling the paradox or finding the spirituality in intimate, in physical intimacy and sex and finding how Eros can be run and held healthily and dealing with all of my own um, uh, dis-ease around Eros and uh, sexuality and growing, in, I went through uh, I went through boarding school as a teenager, so that comes with a, a whole bunch of its own challenges with regards uh, growing up around men, around boys in uh, in boarding schools, and then an adult life where I've been primarily worked in either sustainability um, to support kind of what I would have called health or well-being for the planet, organic clothing, electric vehicles or in and around uh, health and wellness as a yoga teacher, as a massage and holistic therapist for 20 years. And in the last 10 years, as a uh, somatic sexologist, training in uh, many different protocols, including sexological bodywork, which is quite well known and psychosexual somatics, um, but weaving in many, many other flavors of um, of psychosomatic practice. Most recently, I'm a facilitator for a, a technology called Authentic Relating, which is uh, another beautiful way of being in intimate connection with another human being, and um, and adds to sort of the pantheon of practices that I've been exploring. How's that?
0: Thank you, Drew. Yeah, that that's a, a great a great introduction. And you know, I mean, we, we we've obviously been talking a little bit about. Um, what we want to, what some of the things we want to cover off in this show with you. And so, you know, as, as a starting point, I guess, you know, one of the things I, I'm really curious about, because we haven't really dived much into the the world of, of, of sex and intimacy in, in the show. And so perhaps as part of, you know, what you do, and, and we, we know that you've had a, a history in the world of, of the, the neo-tantra or whether well, the sexual tantra traditions and things like that. I mean, do you want to speak a little bit to, to what your you know, where, where do you think men are at the moment from your personal experience when it comes to the world of sex and intimacy?
2: <laughs> um, uh, awesome <laughs> question, Malcolm. And you know why... Jesus. Um, where are men when it comes to the world of sex and intimacy? Well, uh, you know, I don't mean to, um, open it up even broader, but where are humans? And, um, and it's a com- really confusing time. Um, men have been, my own journey has been one of, uh, of really, really, uh, it's a cliche, but learning about sex, at least for the first 15 years of my life. Um, from porn and that's a journey that many guys particularly go on you know I was lucky that I was growing up you know I first came across porn in the late 70s as a three or four year old and um and back then it was magazines and so I've been able to avoid at least in my formative years a lot of the um a lot of the video high hardcore you know streaming sites that are available today so um, you know, I had a relatively gentle introduction, even if it was at a very young age, um, but still I learned, you know, so much about, you know, what I thought it meant to be a a man in sexual expression from a, this sort of hypersexualized performative stance, and I see that echoing through a lot of uh, of men today, some this either very overt or or more unconscious uh, pressure on self and expectation to to be the performer to be the penetrator to be you know to be judged by the length strength size of our cocks to be the the one doing the thing and that um, how that manifests you know either overtly with people just with guys peacocking around and. Um, or you know, being uh, only being able to generate arousal through you know, very high stimulus uh, stimulating experiences, um, you know the the proliferation of Viagra, Camagra, Cialis, and other um, drugs now that are designed to give you a hard erection. You know, you could, uh, Viagra is now available without prescription for chemists in the UK, um, and the adverts that I get on Instagram or Facebook or in social media or just in the main, mainstream media are all about. don't let her down, come and take the little blue pill. And so there's this huge pressure on men or on people who have penises to, uh, to make sure that their penis is always ready to fuck. And that has a, a, in my, in my perspective, a really damaging, damaging uh, impact on how we relate intimately, relate physically intimately. And um, and shut down so much of our own desires to be vulnerable, to receive, to be soft, to be penetrated energetically and perhaps even physically ourselves. When the you know 90% of 99% of the uh, what's being thrown at us is about how we must be always on, always hard, always ready to fuck, and uh, and be measured by the the value inherent in our genitals. So it's a big thing. It's a big thing, and I'm, of course, I'm talking from a um, from a cisgendered, white male Western perspective here, because that's the the water that I swim in. But in certainly in the in the areas that I move and with my clients and uh, with my social circles and professional circles, that's a thing that comes up time and time again for for men, whether they we know it or not. It's a it's a like a virus that runs in our program, and it's can be exhausting it can be debilitating it can drive us to um to like a lot of a yang illnesses and disease um just this pressure this pressure this pressure to to perform in work in the family to always be on to always be doing and um you know that kind of has an echo also in in sort of a lot of the modern neo-consciousness movement and neo-tantric idea of conflating masculine with with men and this uh, the performative, um, you know, being the the proto Superman um, in terms of the ultra masculine, hyper masculine, always being a hundred percent presence, being a hundred percent power, be clear, be in your focus, being this, you know, which is a, as far as I can see, it, is an, is a, a, carries a huge shadow with it of shaming and of and and of performance, and I don't see it doing a great deal of long term really healthy good for people with penises trying to become well and rounded and integrated and um so there are echoes throughout society and throughout um our certainly the cultures that i move in how's that
1: hi drew i think that's amazing and I, i i'm really interested in hearing how you think it can be different and and what kind of work you do with people to change this dynamic from men or people with penises not always feeling like they have to be the penetrator and the one that has to perform and always this sort of hyper vigilant masculine how can that look different to anyone that's listening because not all of us resonate with that idea and that standard so what is it that you do uh, that helps men or people with penises uh, behave differently and, and how does that relate to the opposite of, of penetration?
2: The opposite of penetration as in being penetrated I, I think is where I'm picking up what I'm picking up bear rich and I'll talk about that in a minute um I think uh I think a lot of the a lot of the work that I do and a lot of what I feel is um is useful in this work is the idea of, of being with and accepting uh accepting people where they're at um joining them in their reality and uh inviting a relaxation i mean a lot of also a lot of a uh, you know the modern uh more i mean more taoist than um than yogic practices but there's a uh, there's a lot. There's still a lot of um, pressure on force. I think is what I'm trying to say. So even when men are being um, taught uh, various tantric or, or Taoist sexual practices, there's a lot of clenching. There's a lot of, often a lot of um, still forcing and moving energy through the body. And um, in my experience. Whether we're talking sexually or emotionally or energetically, the something that is more useful is practicing rela- relaxation and softening. Um, there's a there does seem to be a a conflation with this idea of masculine energy and men's work, or at least in um, in the neo tantra movement, what I come to refer to as a sort of a a neo tantric codependence that's engineered in a lot of uh, in a lot of workshops between having women deeply embodying feminine energy and having men deeply embodying masculine energy, and while there's I think there's a great deal of value and usefulness in having these practices um, for those of us who haven't learned to really grow into. Our differences energetically and um, a, a lot of a lot of boys are shut down for their more yang qualities of um of loudness and noise and energy and aggression and and being out there and in in the shutting down of the healthy expression of of yang energy it i think that has an impact on taking on this pathology of unhealthy performance um and also a lot of Women, particularly in this patriarchal environment, soup that that they're being raised in in the West, have had to take on a lot of uh, more masculine qualities in order to to get themselves seen, get themselves heard, to earn money in the same way that men automatically have an expectation of earning money to to bridge that gender gap and uh, the patriarchal construct that we're currently living in. So while I think there's a lot of value in in men practicing uh, exploring their more masculine yang energies and women exploring their more feminine yin energies there's also a huge amount of value in men exploring their yin and women exploring their yang and um what has emerged a lot that i've seen in the neo-tantric world is that um, men and women will will be the emphasis will be almost entirely on men developing their masculine and women developing their feminine and then they come back together and I'm not the only person I've, I've heard many people talk about this as well so this isn't a unique theory to me um, but uh, I see it time and time again they'll then the facilitators will then bring bring the women and the men back and of course there's this huge energetic polarity because the, all the men are in their masculine all the women are in their feminine so sparks fly and there's a big potent like magnetic vibe and and uh it feels very electric and alive for a, for a moment for a weekend for a course for a training for a, a three-month sojourn in Bali or Costa Rica or Goa but it's very hard and perhaps I'd imagine I suggest unhealthy to try and maintain these polarities through a relational life much more useful perhaps to develop these qualities of masculine and feminine or yin and yang within ourselves and then meeting another human in the dance in a tango where you where the two of you if you're in a in a dyad um learn to give and receive to lead and follow moment by moment breath by breath without without there being these rigid um energetic gender roles playing out in the relationship but of course it makes for a super hot weekend workshop and of course at the end of it when you've suddenly felt these polar polarized energies and of attraction and desire and uh, magnetism in your body you sign up for level two level three level four you want to keep going back for more because it's it's really hot and polarity is really hot the more space we can create in our physical intimacy the more space there is for charge to jump and and to have those experiences but for one human to always be the yang and the other human to always be the yin regardless of gender configuration is exhausting and unhealthy. I propose.
0: It's uh yeah I mean it, it sounds almost like it, it, it's creating a drug Drew when, when you're talking about that you know the way that you're you're generating that that uh, energy and excitement it's I can imagine there's a lot of um yeah uh uh longing and yearning to to kind of try to recreate that space all the time but I also know from personal experience that um drugs themselves are inherently um leading down a path that that's an un- unsustainable experience and it sounds very much like that that situation yeah absolutely
2: mark i think and you know i i have uh, i have my own journey and exploration with compulsion and addiction throughout my life um and what is that if it's not a, like a journey of relationship with our own end, endocrinology and, um, and desire for connection as, that, as endocrinology manifests as, uh, in relational uh, dynamics? So the dopamine and the serotonin, the oxytocin, the cortisol that's released through strong polarity practice, through you know, physical intimacy with another human being, emotional intimacy with another human being, and that potency of polarity in that experience its a, it's a heady drug and one that I've, you know, I've enjoyed myself in my journey more times than I'm, you know, than I'm proud to admit. And it's, it's also very beautiful. It can be very, very beautiful. I'm not saying that the experience is unhealthy, but I am suggesting that getting stuck in the pattern of always playing the same role can be unhealthy. And this idea of, of, Using it as a performative practice in it, it comes with a lot of shadow when mm. when I or when other men are trying to always play that role of the of the Uber man or the uber masculine. And when we you know take up professional roles in that space, of being you know the men's work facilitator or the, um, holding this particular position, which can deny us the opportunity or the the capacity to explore other positions I think I'm kind of fortunate in that I've never held a like a high level standing um I've never really sorted out either probably because of my own fear of my own shadow um but when we put ourselves out there to be leaders in our field or, or facilitators of the work there's a lot of projection that comes with that and it can like with all that energy that's received from uh, the people that we're working with and facilitating it can it can bring up a lot of shadow as well as a lot of light and I've seen that in the leaders of you know particularly hierarchical groups with you know with steep sides of the pyramid where you know those those usually men um not always but usually men who sit at the top of those pyramids are receiving so much energy from the people that they're working with it can bring out a lot of the the shadow that if it's not integrated ends up you know being vomited out in a messy way somewhere down the road so i -hmm. I also believe that working to integrate the yin and the yang of our own energies the masculine the feminine of our own energies is um is necessary work even if we're going to put ourselves out as facilitators of one particular flavor of this work and i mean also i think it's important to say that you know tantric lineages um for hundreds of years were were not as hypersexual as the neo-tantric lineages they are today it's a completely different um technology and modality right it bears very little relevance and we are we're living if we're talking about this neo-tantric soup we're living in a in a context that's way more sort of like Osho. The, you know, the bastard child of Osho and the human potential movement where we took a lot of, Osho took a lot of his dynamic meditations and like practices and ex- exercises to raise energy in the body, which is also you know seen these days in not only in the Osho work but in breathwork communities and ecstatic dance and a lot of practices to just build up, build up, build up huge amounts of energy and then you know, fuse that with a lot of the human potential movement that came out of Est and, and the US Particularly in the late 70s and 80s and 90s, yeah, smash pillows, raw, you know, primal rage, release, 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 and then smash all that together in a a kind of ecstatic, orgiastic workshop, bliss rubbing ourselves into a state of really high arousal and high energetic states. And then kind of give it a spiritual language, give it a spiritual construct, have out of body experiences, have these big serotonin, dopamine experiences. And forget about our traumas for a while or let go of our sense of separation for a while because we're kind of meeting in a sort of an ecstasis in a sort of a collective flow state which that union with you know what we may want to call the divine in that in that context is is extremely um desirous you know we, a longing of all of us for all of us is you know the, a spiritual longing is For connection for union Mm. so to put that in a kind of a a, almost a romanesque orgiastic experience of of a bliss rubbing is a very very tempting when you've got to go back to work as an accountant (laughs) at nine o'clock on a monday morning
0: yeah so um so so hearing all that right i get the get the sense of of the power of it but also where it can go wrong so so you know thinking you know, reflecting on my own life and hearing you talk about this, this kind of performance and the penetrating, you know, absolutely. I, I so, you know, associate the way that I've kind of been in most of my sexual encounters in, in some way or relation with, you know, operating with that kind of a, a, an idea. And also, you know, knowing that um, uh, that can really impact my, my capacity to... to either penetrate or not really can impact my level of intimacy with someone, you know, so, so talking about the the process of coming into the softening that you're talking about, you know, finding the feminine and the masculine within ourselves, you know, what are some of the ways that you, you can recommend that to, to, for that to start to happen? You know, how do you work with, with men, how do you work with women in terms of this experiencing both of those sides of the coin within us?
2: Hmm. Thank you. Um, and I know, uh, Rich, I apologise because you spoke to that in your previous question, which yeah. I didn't get to. So, um, I mean, just to step out of like the particular focus of sexuality, which we seem to be in in this uh, in um, this conversation. But you know, we know each other from Bali and. Um, And, you know, we've all spent a lot of time at the practice and Octavio and Karina, who's also been a guest here, one of the primary teachings that I got from my time at the practice was was that a moon practice, a slow, calming down yoga practice is the antidote for this, for a yang, hot, fiery life or personality. So, um, you know, I remember Octavio back from 2012 when he was practicing a lot of vinyasa and he was really cooking and this is his own story as well i'm speaking his words here but it was when he got into his moon practices that he found balance and um and that's been very very profound that was a huge teaching in my life because i used to practice ashtanga and a lot of hot vinyasa and uh, and yogas that just kind of put petrol on the fire and it's the same for, uh, in, for the sorts of areas I'm talking about, for men in their sexual practice and in their intimate life. Learning how to slow way down, learning how to breathe with long exhalations and accepting ourselves in our softness, accepting receiving, like becoming open to being receptive is medicine for this always-on, always-yang, hyper-performative practice and if we're doing this in relationship with another then we really need to be enrolled as a couple for this because it's going to and i may have the opportunity to speak to a bit of this as well because it's also going to be challenging for women who have uh who have grown up on the other side of this performance and uh also for whom have a can have a lot of their own shadows around and their their own validation as sexual beings by inverted commas making their man hard or making them calm more and so on um so there's so there's a, a lot a lot of healing at, at least that i found and and a lot of my clients find in a man relaxing and receiving being welcomed for his lack of physical arousal being having his genitals welcomed held touched loved when they're soft uh, having hands on the heart, having lots and lots of softness encouraged in um, in partnership, and also in, in our own personal practice, because intimacy with self begets intimacy with another. So for those men who masturbate, who self-pleasure, and I would judge that that's most of us, like letting go perhaps of what seems to be the more common practice of uh, jacking off to porn or jacking off to fantasy or being very yang in our masturbation, Taking it all the way to ejaculation, really increasing other self-pleasuring practices um, when we're alone, and that may be self-massage, that may be just uh, just getting on a yoga mat and moving the body in in non-linear and unstructured ways, that just following sensation in the body, taking some taking some coconut oil, uh, and being giving ourselves soft genital, soft cock massage, um, bringing in. Ah, uh, bringing in anal play and anal touch, and and self penetration of our anal sphincters into our practice, um, receiving penetration either energetically or physically from our partners, and that's a whole new, whole big taboo that we can go into. That um has probably been one of the most profound areas of of self healing and self practice I've encountered over the last decade, and um and it was all it was all again when I I went to get a series of of tantric coaching sessions from a practitioner and at one point there was tantric massage and when they put their finger on my arsehole my body froze I went into an absolute trauma response and I, I, I went rigid with fear and to cut a long story short that that response was so fascinating to me and to my and of great interest I'm very Very grateful I was with someone that knew what they were doing. They spotted it immediately. We went through a process of unfreezing, and I did a whole series of sessions with this facilitator, with this uh, practitioner. And over the series of the sessions, we worked to uncover, grieve, release, and integrate the trauma that was held in and around my asshole. And a lot of that was from non consensual penetration as a child, both in a sexual abuse situation, but also when I went to hospital, I had fingers. Stuck up my bum to test to check my appendix when they thought I had appendicitis, and um, and there's an incredible amount of healing. The internal anal sphincter. We have two anal sphincters. The internal one, just sitting on the inside of our of our anus, um, is a kind of a master key to our parasympathetic sympathetic nervous systems. Has a huge impact on our vagal and vagal toning on our vagus nerve, and that where we hold so much tension in our in our anal sphincters and receiving a gentle, compassionate, present touch to that area can be incredibly soothing and healing. And by by taking the, symptom, the nervous system from sympathetic to parasympathetic response, it has a huge impact on all areas of our endocrinology and on our physiology and on our emotional and, and energetic life. So, and then of course, men, uh, men have prostates and, um, It's it's formed from the same tissue that the female G-spot is formed from, or the periurethral sponge, I should say, um, in a woman. And receiving touch, massage, um, presence uh, in this area for men can be incredibly healing and eventually incredibly pleasurable. But for a lot of us, we have to move through a lot of discomfort, social discomfort, tension and physical discomfort from what appears to be years and years of clenching holding denying ourselves any idea of pleasure because what if it makes me this what if it makes me that what if it's not okay what if i'm less of a man or or if it makes me gay or if it makes me um whatever it is whatever the stories are we hold in our prostates um learning to receive uh, learning to receive and to be penetrated in this area by ourselves by another by our lovers by our partners is a in my experience and in that of a number of my colleagues and clients is a hugely therapeutic and empowering practice, and it's a gateway into softness. And also, it's something I believe that all men should experience before they run around trying to stick their cocks in other women's, in other women, because I think there's so much trauma that's that's wreaked upon women by men who don't understand how it is to be penetrated. So we run around, you know, what, having learned what we know from porn shoving our cocks in pussies asses, and mouths without having any idea of the vulnerability and the energetic impact that that has um, or all that can have so i think it's um i think it's a necessary part of uh of integrating and learning how to be a uh, a healthy human male in, in just in the world
1: hi drew rich here i'm Hey,
0: Rich. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a sip of water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Thanks, man. That was so good. <laughs>
1: Do so. I mean, what you're the saying.
0: Guys, you, get your girlfriend a strap on.
1: That's what no, I'm stop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, yeah. What, what you're <laughs> I'm going to go out and buy one straight away, mate. Good man. Good on you. Sorry, Rich. Apologies.
1: What you've been saying, um, you've said so much like so much even in the last half an hour and it's been profound and like it's not new to me because you and I've been friends for a long time and especially in Bali you taught me this and I don't think I've ever really credited you with with how much you taught me in this area and like I've undergone if that's the right expression um you know that experience i've i've worked in that area i've learned how to self-pleasure and i've had someone um, take me through that process and releasing shame and guilt and experiencing the freeze that you talked about but also incredible amounts Mm. of pleasure and so like i just want to thank you and just to verify what you you know you've said i mean just to anyone else listening out there like it's 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 such an important thing to be able to do And I'm I'm super grateful for you to kind of get me started on this journey. And I can well imagine that there are men and women and anyone, just humans out there listening now like that are also like freezing up, uh, petrified, um, have no idea how to kind of process this kind of idea that you've suggested that, you know, it would be a great thing for us to explore in these areas before we start going around, um fucking and, and I, I couldn't agree more so like what would you say to these people that are just kind of overwhelmed by what they might be hearing and 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 uh, and what this might bring up for them
2: hmm. well i have empathy for anyone that feels discomfort talking about these subjects because it was a, it was my reality for the first 30 years of my life um and the encouragement as I, I'm hoping is, has been a lot of my message this, uh, in this conversation is to slow way down, is to just, is to be really gentle with our own systems to the more we slow down and the quieter we can be with ourselves, the more available we are to listen to the little whispers in the body. And that may be just taking a, a personal self-pleasure practice and instead of doing what most men do, which is probably be in pretty much the same position most times, whether it's sat in a, in a chair or lying in a bed, probably holding ourselves with the same hand, probably doing the same sorts of movements each time, is just to invite a little bit of difference and a little bit more movement. For guys, when we're, when we're in pleasure, we can tense up a lot. So there can be a lot of clenching of the jaw, a lot of clenching of the hips and thighs and buttocks. So even just bringing in a little bit of movement in our bodies when we're self-pleasuring. And take a hand, take a little bit of coconut oil and just bring some fingers to your perineum, the space between your genitals and your anus. Perhaps bring a finger or two and massage the outside of the anus. Be really gentle with it, get as clean as you want, go and have a wash, go have a shower, put a condom on your fingers if you wanna, or you know, uh, get some gloves, some nitrate gloves, um, if you want to have some protection there around any sort of psychological barrier with cleanliness with feces, um, I just take it super easy and super gentle. And um, and I mean, as perhaps a little bit of a, a sweetener, my experience of doing I also had the like the great benefit and somewhat um, uh, intense experience of being. In, a strongly sexual neo tantra school for a number of years and um and I learned a lot about receiving during this practice and the idea one of the principles that this uh, this was built on in within the tantra school was that the more i learn to receive the more i can build up my capacity to give so it's it's a little bit like just to, what if i can step out of my yang into my yin and not only am I developing my yin aspects, but I'm also giving my yang some time off, giving that an opportunity to recharge. So in a lot of the sexual exercises in the tantra school, the men would receive first and the women would give first. The women would get into their yang, the men would get into their yin, and we would receive, whether it was touch, massage, holding, or penetration, um, and generalised, you know, I mentioned strap-ons, there's, you know, I've uh, I have a what I consider a very healthy practice of of receiving from my partner and from previous partners, where um where not only there's not only a, a like a therapeutic healing um impact from it, but it's it's hot as shit. I mean the the women that I interact with just like to give them an opportunity to, and an invitation to get into um. Their own masculine, their own fire, their own yang. It's just absolutely glorious to, to witness and to, you know, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, to be on the receiving end of, of their fire, their yang. Um, so it's a glorious, like it, it, it adds a whole new range of dynamic potentiality in, in play with others. And it starts, like I was saying, with just the very softest, very gentlest approach. Um, and I like I want to just say one last thing around this. I, I think this this shame and a lot of this is around shame, particularly for guys and their anuses, Uh The shame starts at the pretty much the moment we're born. At least in modern Western society, when you know all fetuses, by by all accounts, uh, self pleasure in the womb. We have a we have a natural tendency to touch and play with our genitals before we're born. And um, there's some suggestion that there's connections between the, the lips and the anal sphincter and uh, sucking our thumb and, and touching ourselves and our genitals and anus before we're born and how that's soothing to the nervous system. The second we're born, or you know, right after we're born, we're put in a nappy and we're, we lose our opportunity to touch our own genitals, to self-soothe, to touch our genitals, to touch our anuses. And then for the first couple of years of our lives, we're in nappies, and so we spend most of that time sat in our own shit and piss. Or when those nappies are removed and that we're being changed, we're probably not being encouraged by our parents to self-pleasure. We're probably not being left by our parents to self-pleasure. Probably when the nappy comes off, we're reaching down to our genitals and there's poo or pee, and our parents are moving our hands away and cleaning us up and putting us back in a nappy quite quickly. It's really, really hard, I would imagine, to go through that process and not end up with some sort of shame around our genitals, around touching our genitals, around it being dirty, around this the whole concept of conflating shit and pee and self-pleasure and touch. When we're in our formative years, you know, up to three years old, two or three years old. And so if we can't self-soothe by reaching down and touching our genitals, which is the way we did it in the womb then we have to self-soothe by reaching out, reaching out to the world to grab things. And I think that's the origin of many, many addictions of any, you know, of like about our lack of capacity to soothe ourselves with genital Mm. touch. And Mm. what that looks like these days is that guys, we've forgotten, most of us have forgotten how to soothe ourselves by just holding our genitals. And that's the medicine right there.
0: Yeah, Drew, I think, um, I'm with Rich. There's so much I'm getting out of this, um, you, know, you know, this piece of, of just slowing down and actually, and, and being okay to to just feel, feel myself, my sex, but also feel that with my partner, you know, the, like even just the, that permission to go, it's okay to be with your partner and not get a hard on and to, mm. and to just be and to caress and, you know, it's like, oh God, the, the you know, I could I could I could feel the sense of relief even in just you know getting the permission from you, let alone from from my partner, you know, like it it, it feels such a beautiful thing. And um so, so that's one little comment I wanted to make because you know that just was, was a you know it's it's profound I think and it it's a message that it, Man, it would just how different our society would be <clears throat> if we could, if we could actually have that as a as a as a message to for all of us, you know, in terms of our relating and intimacy. Gosh, and um, mm-hmm. but you know, this other bit that you're talking about with children, you know, and 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 I'm interested to hear if if you might have a the solution to this. But you know, I'm thinking about you know as a dad with a with the five-year-old child, right? And there's this whole thing of, you know, I, I had some sexual abuse, uh, which I've, you know, when I was a teenager and, and, um, and I think, you know, we're so hyper vigilant now as a culture around in the West, around this um, sexual abuse of, of children that, you know, it feels, um, you know, I noticed that with my daughter at times, it, like it almost feels, um. I'm a little bit unsure and uneasy around this whole, um, you know, touch of with my daughter and the, 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 you know, because they are, you know, kids are hypersexual, you know, she was Mm -hmm. constantly playing with her genitals and doing all this stuff. And, you know, and, and one part of me knew, you know, just this is awesome. She's got to do it, you know? And then there was another part of me that I could hear the, the cultural and social voice going, shit I don't know like should I be looking should I you know mm. should I be stopping is this okay and and it's just like you know how do we how do we get through that <laughs> mm. I mean obviously you know because there it is an issue sex, sexual abuse of the children but how do we also say that it, it's okay for this exploration and to almost you know, not necessarily encourage it, but just kind of allow it to be in, in our children and in ourselves. It's such an important question, Malcolm.
2: Um, you know, One of the most important questions um, as parents and, uh, and as humans trying to raise and interact and be in healthy society and healthy community. I'm not a parent, so I, I don't want to speak to that directly. But I have a you know I have a personal experience of um as an uncle where two nephews came in. I was having a pee one day, and my two nephews walked into the bathroom and I think one was six and one was four, and they just kind of stood there and watched me pee and like I had to do everything and I chose to like not like zip up and leave a wee stain in my trousers and hurry them out the door and so on. And uh, so they just stood there and they're like, "Ah, what are you doing? Oh, I'm peeing. Yours is bigger than mine. Yeah, but I'm bigger than you. One day you'll be bigger and yours will be bigger. And just trying to have a like a human to human conversation in a situation that I immediately felt like, (gasps) oh, God, what do I do in this moment? And I think there are, you know, there are a number of moments that we have or that parents have, which is this is an important time to be. Present in this experience, and shame can get picked up and internalized so easily. It's, I would imagine it's, an, it's a complete minefield. What I do know is that as a coach working with uh, clients, and we explore our sexual history, and also in my own experience, I was very sexual as a child. Almost probably ninety-five percent of my clients have played with, uh, sexually played with their brothers, their sisters, their friends. Uh, at school, you know, in the playing fields, by the time they're 10 years old or sometimes six years old. And it's, you know, whether it's been doctors and nurses or show me yours, show me mine, that's a reality. That stuff happens. And I can't, I cannot see how that is not okay. However, how we be with that, how we hold it, what level of kind of support, encouragement, witnessing, boundary setting around it all um, that we as adults hold around the young people, I, I do not know. And it's a, it's a really, really challenging inquiry for me as I think about the possibilities of being a father, but also one that I see adults and um, parents, friends of mine, explore the whole time how to be with the emergent and very real sexuality and eros of our, of our children, because we're born sexual beings. And the, you know, the environment that we're grown up in and the impact we get from our primary caregivers and, and from our environment really does affect how expressed and integrated we are in our, in our eros with our sexual energy or not. And it's, um, yeah, it's a it's a, a delicate dance, my friend. I, um,
0: I'd love to learn more from parents, how they have been with their mm. children. Hmm. It, it is a delicate dance in in um, You know, I'm I'm definitely of the school where, you know, I've I've wanted my daughter to, to be comfortable in her nudity. I've I've never not covered up around her. Um and I know too that um for other parents and like from a cultural perspective at times, um you know, people now would, would frown on it and, and it feels like such a shame. It's like, mm. you know, somehow as a culture, we, we have to find a way to begin to reconcile these things, I think. Um, mm. Because, you know, I witness now my daughter, she's five years old and, you know, when we're, you know, I was at, I took her to play football uh, last week and, you know, I was changing and I was just taking her t-shirt off to put her football t-shirt and she was scared of other kids seeing her body, her up her mm. her chest, right? And this mm. is a five year old. And I'm and I and I my my heart broke, you know. I just felt fucking devastated ab- about that because you know th- th- that's all messaging, you know, TV, friends, all this kind of stuff. And oh man, it, yeah, like it's such a fucking heartbreak. And um and I know that I'm also complicit in it too, with 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 some of my 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 stuff around, you know, some of my unease around the sexuality, and um, it, it just this in terms of what you're talking about, the, the softening and the and the coming into the different aspects of myself. I mean, uh, what I what I'm getting from this conversation, Drew, is that, and and I'd love to hear from you, Rich, but man, I mean, this is. This, uh, God, I just feel the value of this is un- outrageously good um, for me as a man and as a human being.
1: Yeah, um, I'd second that. I think you've said so much, Drew, that it touches so many relevant areas that goes way beyond sex and intimacy. And it starts from there. And yet the aspects of all of our lives that it touches is, is super interesting and profound. Like, I, I don't say that word lightly. Um, you know me better than that. Thank you, really. I have a question. Um, You you shared that story around how you dealt with these two boys coming in when you were peeing. And you said, I had a human to human conversation with them. And I love that. And it made me think about what you'd mentioned earlier around this work you do called Authentic Relating. And I'd love to invite you to speak to a little bit about what that is and how that benefits humans. Because I think that's a really relevant part of this conversation that would be Helpful for everyone to hear about as well.
2: Thank you, Rich, um, and thank you, Melk. I, firstly, I cannot believe your daughter's five, and um, having known her as a <laughs> as a much smaller human, and also yeah. I felt much much tenderness. You know, I felt my own heart um, you know, soften and and open, and um, when you shared that, because uh, this this I, this learning that we're sexual beings, or learning that our eros has an impact and we have to somehow cover it up or be aware of it or be ashamed of it or something it seems to be happening at a younger younger age and I remember being four or five years old which was in the late 70s very early 80s and still having a sense from a very young age that there was this this energy called eros and I was being looked at and there was you know I still had a sense of sexualization of my body and my environment when I was her age and I think the most important thing, and this is speaking to both your questions also, or both your points and also Rich about authentic relating is, having these conversations is medicine. Uh, In men's work, sitting in circle and having these conversations. And in, in my experience, men's work and men's circles are super vulnerable, deep, can be vulnerable, deep, open, honest spaces. And still, it's, it's often some of the deeper, darker sexual stuff isn't spoken about because it's, it's such a minefield of shame, of, of sensitivity. I mean, for a conversation that I find I have a lot is around how fathers are able to be with their daughters, Eros. And I'm aware, Malcolm, you have a daughter and this is a conversation I've had with many men with daughters and just like, and it's like even having the conversation is difficult, but growing up, you know, we often, not always, but we'll often project our eros onto our opposite sex parent. And so, you know, to be a man with a daughter, as she grows up, as she reaches puberty, as she, you know, as her love for her father starts to, you know, take on perhaps a more erotic component, how can we be with our with our children's emergent sexuality, and how can fathers be with uh, their daughters' emergent eros? It's a it's a huge and really challenging question, one that I don't think is discussed enough or shared about enough in in circle and group. Um, and I just hope and encourage men to have these conversations. And um, and uh, my understanding of it is that a lot of men will leave the family unit as their cho- as their daughters approach that point because it's no longer daddy's little girl bouncing on his knee and the father doesn't know how to be with his own discomfort in their children's sexuality, in their, his daughter's sexuality so I'm just going to leave that little hand grenade there but it's a, these are the sorts of conversations I think that really need to be had in circles and in groups <laughs> and, um, amazing. and moving swiftly onto authentic yeah, amazing.
0: I mean that's such that's what a these good circles ink. are about. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Sorry, man. No, I mean, beautiful. being beautiful. being in our
2: authentic expression with uh, with other humans, and that's what the technology of authentic relating is about is is how to to the best of our capacity get out get take all the different lenses and filters and judgments and assumptions that we have out of the way, open up our aperture to welcome the sensations into our body. Like get rid of our assumptions about how we should behave or what these people should, may, might do in response to what we say, and being really revealed in our experience. Hey, this I'm having this experience, and it's mine. And can we be with each other as we share these experiences, without you know running to get our pitchforks and and you know burn each other down for the projection of our own shame onto each other. And so I really think authentic relating is a medicine for this and so many of the um, challenges of, of human mis- misconnection and miscommunication. So, yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the deep technologies. Loving touch, um, integrated masculine and feminine practices, energetically and sexually, and authentic relating are foundational practices, I think, for all of these things we've been talking about today.
0: Hmm. Beautiful. Well, I think with that hitting that point, I'm wondering if uh, that that's a good point for us to end the the conversation here, Rich and Drew. You know, I think we've Mm. we've just covered such a rich. um, You've you've got a Richard. You have a you have a perfect name, Rich. Rich, I think, is such a, a, a lovely word for describing something that is the journey that we've just been on. It's, it's felt like a, a real luscious um, experience, this, this whole conversation. So thank you. Thank you, Drew. Um, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's been a real pleasure having you join us. And um, I, I actually, I've got so much out of this personally. Um that, uh, I just can't wait to actually see my wife. (laughs) 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 Uh, Shit on your mouth. Yeah. Uh, You're very
1: welcome. Just from my side, I mean, uh, I I second all of that. And I just want to thank you for that refreshing balance of kind of grace with which you've talked to, uh, and shared your experience and your knowledge in these subjects and your wisdom and the kind of outright frankness and directness with which you talk about the specifics of certain practices as well. That's a, a, a rich uh, combination and I've certainly enjoyed it and I hope everyone listening has as well. Um, I won't tell you what I'm about to do after this practice uh, or this this session but uh, yeah that'll leave too many, too many images I'm sure. So. <laughs> Uh, let
2: it out, Rich. Let it out. I, um, yeah. I just want to say thank you to both of you. You know, I don't, I don't claim expertise um in these areas, and you know, I speak from from my life experience of getting it all really wrong. You know, I've I've done all the wrong things in just about every area of my life, and if I've learned anything from this journey, it's it's through that. It's through you know, it's through messing it up many many times, and I'm grateful. grateful that I'm still alive I'm grateful that I'm here I'm grateful that I'm sober and I'm grateful that I have these technologies and these experiences to be able to be in connection with other men to be in connection with my partner with other humans and perhaps one day also to be a father and um and it's because I've learned probably the hard way how not to do all these things so you know I'm you know, my my path is littered with with a lot of mistakes and gradually I'm learning to do the practices I know that will serve and to hopefully share them and you two men have been absolutely fundamental in my journey the time we spent together in Bali and I'm rich I was swimming off the South Devon Sea two days ago and every time I get in cold water I think of you my friend And um, and whenever I think of men's work I think of both of you so thank you both for your service and for doing this podcast and for uh, everything that you both bring um as humans in the world so really grateful for this invitation to be here today
0: yeah thank thanks you, Drew, and thank you and, and just before you sign off Drew, um i mean i know that you do you do this work professionally as in you, you work with 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 me with individuals men women couples etc um so for anybody who is listening and would like to have a personal conversation with you drew what would be the the best way that they could get in touch with you oh
2: that's awesome Nathan. thank you so my
0: uh, website is drewlawson.net
2: d-r-e-w-l-a-w-s-o-n.net and my instagram and twitter handles are at intimate heart
0: Mm. that'd be great thank you awesome beautiful i can recommend you anybody listening to reach out to drew as you've heard he's just such a, <laughs> a wholehearted human being and um it's, mm. it's it's been a real pleasure to get to know you drew i
1: do that yeah
0: thank you i've uh, i've loved sharing this time with you guys again can't wait till we do it in the
2: flesh exactly <laughs> until then <sighs> until then all right Ciao. ciao everyone thanks bye thank you bye-bye
0: From this week's podcast, if there's been anything that's inspired you, challenged you, or simply left you wanting more, then please reach out to Richie and Mal via their Facebook page, Man Reimagined. Just like you, we're trying to get a handle on all these issues and topics, so the more we're able to share and talk about them, I think the better off we're all going to be. Until next time, catch you later.